Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Today, join me in Psalm chapter 112. I've shifted in um, response to a specific uh, desire that God has put in my heart to uh, give attention to today. Psalm 112, I had the privilege of recording all week this week our very first audio book. Many of you may be familiar with my testimony, Walking in the Graveyard. That testimony has been picked up by Harrison House, and they have asked, they, they had me to add to it the fundamental teachings that God has used to help my life be stable. And so it's being released under a new title, Escaping Hell, because many of you are familiar with the uh, the testimony, and I died in my addiction. I overdosed on cocaine, and my heart stopped. I actually died more than once. It was the, the second time that I died of a cocaine overdose that I found myself standing in front of a skull, and hands of darkness were reaching for me, trying to pull me into death, and I ran back to my body. And so, uh, we are, I'm, I'm really um, thrilled with uh, the opportunity to share my testimony. And in redoing, or in redoing, I didn't change anything about the testimony part from walking in the graveyard. We just kind of cleaned it up a little bit and then added the teaching. But in going through to uh, record the audio for the audio book, I, it just really became clear to me how far God has brought me. <laughs> to Sometimes, you know, y'all have been, you know, we've grown together for the last, uh, uh, going on a little over 20 years, 23 years uh, that I've been here in this congregation. And, and so a lot of you have, you know, you celebrated with me every August 17th when I say celebrate being free from from drugs and and we've celebrated together what God has done for us and seen how he's restored our lives but sometimes when I just really go back and see how little I knew and how God brought me to where I am it gives me hope anybody anybody can change I mean anybody can have a life worth living if they'll just let God rebuild their life and so the, the most I say that there are important elements of of that restoration, but I have to say the one that has given me the most stability was learning how to establish my life on the Word of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Is that okay? Let's go to Psalm 112 and let's find ourselves in the Scripture. Here we are in Psalm 112. That's us. Psalm 112 is one of my favorite verses. And uh, it says in verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright There arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Hallelujah. Verse 5 says, A good man shows favor and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Trusting in the Lord, his heart is established. 
He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. In this chapter, we find a description of the life that is lived in line with the word of God. In verse 1, it says, The person is blessed who fears or reverences or honors God and delights greatly in his commandments. And verses 2 through through 8 or verse 2 through 9 describe that's how our life is going to look as we are delighting in his commandments. But it begins by finding the word as the source of our instruction, finding the word as the light of our life. We were singing that in our song today. You are the light to the path that's before me. You are the light. His word will deal with and stabilize every area of our life. That's what is described in these following verses. Wealth and riches in the house, light in the darkness, uh, we'll be showing favor, we'll be lending, we will guide our affairs with discretion or judgment. We will not be moved. We won't be afraid of evil tidings. We will be steadfast, fixed, trusting in the Lord. We will have our heart established. And where does it begin? It begins by delighting greatly in the commandments. Now, I want you to hold your place here and look at Psalm chapter 1 for another picture of the life of the person who is delighting in the commandments of God. It says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the person, the man or the woman. Blessed is the person. Now we've got three different areas here. We are not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly, they have their advice. They tell you how things ought to be. They tell you how your marriage ought to look. They tell you how your finances ought to be and how you've got to climb the ladder and undercut and lie. And they'll tell you all kinds of things. But we don't walk in that counsel. Amen? We don't stand in the way of sinners. The same way they're standing. The same, the same uh, position they take on things. We don't take that position. We don't stand in that way or in that direction. We have a different way of standing. We're standing in the way of the righteous. We're standing in the way that is in line with the word of God. And then the third thing that it says is sitting in the seat of the scornful critical, judgmental. We don't participate in that criticism. We don't participate in that judgmentalness. We don't sit, and and that's talking about like a judge who's judging. That's not us. You know what? There but for the grace of God go I. I, where, where, even though what I'm not sitting in their, in their, even though I'm not standing in their way or walking in their counsel, I'm not judging because if they just had the light I had, they'd come walk in, in the way I'm walking and stand in the way I'm standing. Amen. So I'm not judging. I'm not critical because love is governing me. So he says, blessed are those that, so if I'm not doing those things, what am I doing? Verse 2, it says, again, using the word delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the word law is not referring to the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments. It's referring to a teaching instrument. The word is defined as teaching instrument. My delight is in God's teaching instrument, which is his word, right? His word is my teaching instrument. So my delight is in the word of the Lord and in his teaching instrument, his word, I do meditate day and night. And what's going to be the result of me interacting and and delighting myself in the word of God? What's going to be the result of my life? What's my life going to look like because I make his word my delight? It says, 
I will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Well, a tree planted by rivers of water is not moved. It's a stable tree. It's a flourishing tree. It is a tree that is rooted, it's grounded, and it is well watered so that it can produce no matter what's going on around it. No matter what the situation in the world is, the well-watered tree has a different supply than what's going on in the world. We have a supply that's coming from the Word of God, and that supply enables me to have a production of fruit. It provides in my marriage. It provides in my finances. It provides in my health. I have a supply. I have a cup that doesn't run dry. And so it is our life that this tree is referring to. Our life is like that we are planted by the, a, a, a constant supply of, of water needed to produce for our life, living water. It says we will bring forth our fruit in season, our leaf will not wither, and whatever we do, whatever we do, whatever we do, it's going to turn out right. Not because we're so smart in our own human natural ability, but because it's the water producing my right decision. It's the living water, the Word of God. It's the Word of God that's producing my right decision. Do you see that? It's producing in my life so that when I make a choice, when I take a step, when I and when I do that action, I'm doing it in the light of what the Word of God has revealed to me because I'm delighting in the Word, and the Word is showing me how to make things work right. Amen? So the Word is the key. So let's, let's go back and see. It says, we delight in the Word of God, verse 2. And if we'll go back to Psalm 112, we see that was also the key to the person of Psalm 112. This person delights greatly in his commandments. Delights in his commandments. Well, Psalm 1 used the word law, which we know is defined as teaching instrument. And then Psalm 112 uses the word commandment, that we delight in his instruction or his commandment. So in Jesus' teaching of John chapter 15 and verse 10, and if I could have the Amplified on the screen for us, John 15, 10, in the Amplified, Jesus said it this way, if you keep my commandments, and the Amplified goes a, a step further in the definition, if you continue to obey my instructions. Now, family, this is from Genesis to Revelation. This concept of hear my word, do my word, get my word results. He says in Deuteronomy, if you will hearken diligently the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do what I say, all these blessings will come on you. That's the result. We saw Psalm 1 called those blessings a stable life, like a well-watered tree. We saw that Psalm 112 described those blessings as my heart will be fixed. My heart will be established. I won't fear evil tidings. I will have a stable life. I'll have wealth and riches in my house. Hallelujah. Why? But that's part of God's stability. And where does it come? It comes from delighting in the commandment or continuing to obey the instructions. So he says, if you continue to obey my instruction you will abide in my love and live on in it. Well, that's what the blessing is. The blessing is the love of God in manifestation in our life. God loves us so much, he blesses us. The blessing, he said, you'll abide in my love and live in it just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and live on in his love. Hallelujah. So that's God's plan. That we live in an atmosphere of his love that is providing the wisdom that we need, providing the peace that we need in the middle of the turmoil that the world might be going through. We don't have to have a sleepless night. I need a big amen for that one. We don't have to have a sleepless night. We don't have to, we don't have to dread filling up our car. 
We can just pull up with a smile on our face and not even look at that little placard telling us what the amount is. It doesn't matter. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and adds no sorrow. I'm living in his love. I'm, I'm keeping his word. I'm delighting in his commandments. And God is my provider. And God is my way maker. And God is my strengthener. And God has given me the, the light that I need upon my path to make the decisions that are going to establish me in his love. Hallelujah. So I, I still need for us to see our part. We see what God wants to do. What do I need to do? What is my part? How do I connect to this? Jesus said, continue to obey. Uh, and in both Psalm 1 and Psalm 112, it used the word delight. So I want to talk about delight for just a minute. The word delight means to take pleasure in, to desire, or to be pleased with to be pleased with, to be pleased with his word. And, and this isn't just reading it. This is reading it with an eagerness, reading it with an attitude of, of this, is, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, when I first started reading the Bible, uh, even though I was a good reader in school, reading was, wasn't difficult for me. I still had trouble connecting with King James Version. Even though I did start with it, I, I, it wasn't, it, it took me a while to get used to thee and thou. And I was so thankful when a preacher told me that God doesn't speak in Elizabethan English. <laughs> God, God's not going to speak, thou mustest comest to me. <laughs> oh, thank you, because, you know, it was not, it, it was still foreign to me. And so uh, when, when I began to uh, walk with God, I wanted to know his ways. I wanted to know his word. And so it's, it, it was the hunger that I had for his word and the, the knowledge that this has to be approached differently than I approach a newspaper or uh, now today we would say social media. When we read through things, we, we read and move, read and move, read and move. We just scrolling through it, scrolling through it. I'm looking for what's interesting. I can't do that. I have to treat this in a way that has a holy approach. When I'm reading this, this is, is an attitude of, remember, to be pleased with. If I find it here, it's pleasing to me. Even if I'm not doing it and it's going to require change in me. Even if when I read it, I'm like, ow, ooh, yeah, I'm guilty of that. I'm still pleased with it. <laughs> I'm not pushing it away. Do you remember hearing Brother Hagen tell his testimony? Of course, he was bedridden, and he was, his, they would prop up his grandmother's Bible on the bed, and he was trying to read through the Bible because they told him he was going to die soon. And so he said, I didn't have time for the Old Testament. I just started in the New. And he's trying to read, and he gets to Matthew 6, just six chapters in, right? And it comes across that part about not taking any anxious thought, not being worried. And he said, I had, I, for over a month, he wouldn't go back to read the Bible. Because he said, that's impossible. My heart is stopping in my chest. I will go for moments where my heart doesn't beat. And you're telling me I can't worry? What did it cause him to do? It caused him to back away from the word. And then finally... He said to the Lord, Lord, okay, I submit to that. I submit to that. Now, remember, when that would come, when his heart would stop beating, he would reach back and grab the bedpost. He had done that so often that he had worn the varnish off the bedpost by trying to hold on to his own life by, with his strength and with his power. And now God's telling him he can't worry about his life. And for a month, he argued with God. Over a month and a half, he argued with God and said, it's impossible. 
How do you tell me I can't worry about my life? My heart is stopping in my chest. My blood has, I have a blood disease. I have this, I have that. He's going through all these things. And, and he finally had to come back to the place where, okay, you tell me I can't worry about my life. I'll do it. And so he prayed and told the Lord, I commit, if I find it in your word, I'll do it. You told me I can't worry, so I'm not going to worry. And he said the very next time that his heart quit beating, by just habit, he began to reach back and grab the bedpost, and he stopped himself, and he said, nope, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it. I know I'm going to go to heaven now because I'm saved. I'm not going to worry about it. If he had not walked in the light he had there, how would he have ever been able to receive from Mark 11 and receive the healing by faith that raised him up and gave him the ability to preach for the rest of his life around the world? He had to first submit to the light about worry before God could teach him. He would not have been able to enter into operating faith from Mark eleven twenty four if he had been in worry. So he had to be pleased with the word that he encountered even though it went against everything he'd ever known. Amen? So the, the, we're delighting in the word. Delighting in the word. We're taking pleasure in it. We are pleased with it. And I want to give you another definition from the Strong's Concordance. And this is, that means it's coming straight from the Hebrew language. So this would cover Psalm 1 and the word delight in Psalm 112. It also means to bend down or incline to. To bend down or incline to, which would mean to bow to it. So if the word comes against me, I'm not going to straighten myself up against it and say, no, I don't want to do that. When the word comes to me, yes, sir, I'm going to submit to it. Okay. Right? And so that's part of the definition. If I'm delighting in it, if I'm taking pleasure in it, if I'm desiring the word, if I'm pleased with the word, when it comes against what I'm doing, I'm not going to resist it. I'm going to bow to it. I'm going to bend down and incline whatever I need to incline, whatever I need to change, whatever position I need to adjust so that I get myself in line with the Word. See, the Word is established. God's Word is already established in heaven. God's Word is settled. God's Word is truth. God's Word is life. God's Word is alive and full of power. God's Word is, is uh, light. Jesus said, my words are spirit. They are spiritual containers. God's words are spiritual containers for His truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17 says. And it sets us apart. Sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. It sets us apart when we bend to it. When we yield to it, it puts us in a place where the enemy is off limits. He can't come and attack if I am in line with the word. He can try, but he won't be successful in any attack he launches as long as I'm in position with the word because then the word raises up a standard against his attack. So our job then is to delight in the word. And delight includes submitting to it, adjusting what needs to be adjusted. Can I give you some examples? Let's look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40 in verse 8. Psalm 48, chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Yea, or yes, your law is within my heart. Your teaching instrument, your instruction is within my heart. And, I, and I'm pleased with it. I delight in it. Verse uh, 35 of Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 119 and verse 35. It says, make me to go in the path of your commandments. That's a good prayer right there. That's a good, that's a good prayer to put in the front of your journal. <laughs> make me to go in the path of your commandments. For therein... 
in the path of your commandments, for therein do I delight. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding. We don't want to be that person. We want to be the person who delights in the understanding. So when understanding comes, and this is true understanding from the Word of God, when understanding comes, we want to delight in it, even if we haven't been doing it before that moment. Oh, oh, I need to do that. So this is an approach to the Word that we develop and maintain all of our Christian life. If I find it in the Word, I'm going to submit to it. When I, when I see it in the Word of God, I embrace it. Amen. So that will include correction. I don't want to be the fool who doesn't have delight in understanding. I want to be the wise woman, the wise person who comes to the light and embraces the light. Proverbs chapter 4. This is one thing that I had to learn about um, God's plan for me. And, and I'll tell you a story that didn't make it to the book. I'd been saved a couple of weeks, maybe. And the church had a door just like this one, but it was right to the side of the pulpit, but it was a door that we used. There was a parking lot to the side of the church, and so people would use this door to come in. So it was uh, before church. I had gotten there early. Remember, y'all, I was not raised in church. I had attended church a little bit with my grandparents when I was a kid. I had went with one of my friends to uh, their youth group on Wednesday night, but it really wasn't church service. So I wasn't aware of what was proper etiquette. I had been on the streets and living, living like the devil for a, a, a long time, a good eight years in that addiction. And so here I am saved. Now, I had my, my suede leather boots, gray suede came all the way up. I had my tight jeans on. I had my gray suede jacket that kind of looked like Ozzy's jacket when you held up the, y'all know, if you don't know Ozzy Osbourne, held up his hands and it's got the fringe all the way down. I had my, I had my Ozzy jacket on like, you know, and I'm, I'm there at the church and, and I'm smoking. Hey. And so I went right out the door before church. It's like, 15 minutes till church starts, right? And I'm standing right outside the front door. That's, that's normal to me. I know not to smoke in the church. I thought I was being polite. I'm not going to smoke in the church building. That would be rude, right? So I'll just step right outside the door. So I'm smoking right outside the door. <laughs> Got my... Virginia Slims, menthol, Misty's. I'm out there smoking a cigarette, blowing it right outside the door, and the people are walking right past me, opening the door, and guess what's coming in with them? My smoke's coming right in the church. I'm really cool. And the pastor's daughter, who is the worship leader, Pastor Angela Gasaway. <laughs> she comes out and she says, now, Michelle, uh, you can't smoke right here. You're right in front of the door and that smoke is coming right into the sanctuary. And I gave her a look. You do not know who you are messing with. And then, after I had blown my smoke in her face, then I pulled my boot up and put my cigarette out on my boot, because I'm not going to throw it away. I'm not done with this cigarette. And I put it back in my cigarette pack with my attitude. 
I don't even know if I paid attention to what the service was that day because she told, she's told me something I can't do. Like, who does she think she is telling me I can't smoke? I'm outside. Right in front of the door where everybody's walking past me, right? I'm outside. I didn't want to be told. I didn't want to receive instruction. Hallelujah. So I had to learn to embrace correction. I had to learn that when correction comes, it's for my good. It's, she wasn't trying to be mean to me. She didn't demoralize me. She didn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, rebuke me. She just explained to me, you're right in front of the door, and your smoke is blowing in the door. You can't smoke right here. And she wanted me to go, you know, around the other side of the building or out back, and I got insulted. And blew my smoke in her face and gave her my attitude and put my cigarette out on my boot. I've come a long way. Proverbs chapter 4, new creature, I know. Proverbs chapter 4, let's look at verse 23. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. I said four, but I want another verse here. Thank you, Jesus. Let's actually look at Proverbs 15 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regards reproof is prudent. The Amplified, and this is not the Amplified Classic, I think this is the regular Amplified, it says, a flippant, arrogant fool rejects his father's instruction and correction, but he who is willing to learn and regards and keeps in mind a reprimand acquires good sense. Listen to that. He who is willing to learn and regards and keeps in mind a reprimand. Well, who, who feels like embracing a reprimand? I know I didn't. I didn't want that reprimand until I learned how the reprimands have saved me. How a reprimand is given by someone who loves you, someone who is giving you instruction. And if a reprimand comes from the word of God, it's coming to rescue me. Not coming to humiliate me or to hurt me, but to help me. Hallelujah. So what do I have to do? I have to learn how to embrace the word when it corrects me. Hallelujah. Go back to Proverbs 4 and I'll tell you where I want to look. I want to look at verse 13. Proverbs 4, 13, and it's still not the same one. Uh, Proverbs 13 or 413 says, Take fast hold of instruction, let her not go, keep her, for she is your life. Keep her, for she is your life. The instruction is your life. It's talking about the wisdom in the instruction. Hallelujah. So reproofs are a way of life. Rebuke is a way of life. It's something that I'm going to be uh, in, in every area of my life. If I don't have someone correcting me, if I don't have, then I'm going to hit a limit of how far I can go. Look at Proverbs 6 and verse 23. For the commandment, we've talked about the commandment. We're supposed to be delighting in the commandment, right? 
For the commandment is a lamp. The, the commandment of God, the commandment, we're not talking about the Ten Commandments, although they are lamps, but we're talking about the instruction word of God. The, when God gives us an instruction, it's a lamp. Or we would say a light bulb. It's a flashlight. It shows us in the dark what we need to do. It gives us light on the, sub, on the subject. The law, the teaching instrument is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Reproofs of instruction. So you might as well just get used to it. Here's what I tell my children when they were growing up. I tell Lily now. Uh, if you don't know how to follow my instruction... Don't think it's going to end when you turn 18 and move out. You're going to have instructions on the job. You're going to have instructions in, in, in every area of life. You're going to have rules to follow. You're going to have things that need to, And here's the thing. We teach our children to follow our voice so that when they become adults, they'll still follow God's voice. Amen. If I'm not teaching them to follow my voice and, and to heed my voice, how are they going to follow God's voice? And so at, at some point in raising our children, we want to help them recognize the voice of God. God will speak to our children. And he wants them to learn in our house where we are there to help be a safety net for them and let them know that was God talking to you about how to deal with that, that situation at school. And, and, and then they will learn how to follow the prompting and the voice of God. But the instruction also is part of their life. It's a way of life. This verse or phrase in verse 23, reproofs of instruction, the Christian Standard Bible says, corrective discipline is the way to life. The CEV, Common English Version, says, correction and self-control will lead you through life. It doesn't feel good to the flesh when we get corrected, but it feels a lot better to receive that correction and apply it and avoid the mistakes. Amen? The um, Good News Version says, or the Geneva Bible says, uh, corrections for instruction are the way of life. So we might as well embrace it and get used to it, right? Praise God. The Word of God is, a, is the way God desires to correct us. God does not use sickness to correct people. God does not use attacks of the devil to correct people. People say, well, I went through that hard time and it was God correcting me. What happened was when that hard time happened... They turned to God, and God helped them, and then God rescued them and brought them out better than what had happened before the attack. But it wasn't God who permitted the attack. He just responded when they yielded to him or when they turned to him and began to seek him in that, and they got light on their situation. But God didn't allow it in the sense that he wanted to, the, for the devil to attack you so that you would turn to him. You could have turned to him without the attack. Amen? And so, so we need to recognize he will respond to us when we're under attack and he will, will rescue us from that attack, but we can avoid the attack if we'll stay in that hunger of the word. Hallelujah. The word of God sets me in a place of stability when I yield to it, when I embrace the correction of it. Now, when I first came to the Lord, as I said, I knew nothing about God. I knew nothing about church, and I knew nothing about the Word of God. I had lived a life totally polar opposite of everything they began to teach me. So I had a whole lot that I needed to adjust. I had a lot of inclining myself to do. I had a lot that I had to bend in. And I'll tell you, one of the first things that I learned was that I couldn't lie. That lying was not an option. And how did I learn it? The Word began to reveal to me where God's perception... Now, I grew up, I grew up thinking lying was just part of it. 
I lied to my parents. I lied to my school teachers. I lied to the police. I got, I have been arrested and put in the back of the car and taken to jail and had to post bond for lying to a police officer. That's all I did that day. I'm like, this is the least I've ever done in my perception at that moment. You know, I don't have no drugs on me. I hadn't broken, I didn't think I'd broken any law, but a police officer pulled up, asked me if I knew where so-and-so was. I said, no, I haven't seen him. And I walked inside and I said, you better run out the back door. The police are looking for you out front. And he said, I'm not in trouble with the police and walked out there and I went to jail. I went to jail. Why? Because that police officer caught me red-faced in a lie. I mean, I lied. And now I'm coming to church and I'm learning about God. And you know what I found? Let me show you what I found. Proverbs chapter 6. Right here in Proverbs chapter 6, verse, verse 16. You know, because I started kind of with Psalms and Proverbs because it was a little bit easier for me to understand as a, a new believer. And I came right across this. These six things does the Lord hate. I want to know what does God hate. I didn't know. I don't want to be involved in it if God hates it. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. And I didn't really know what an abomination was, but it just sounds nasty. Abomination. I mean, just that doesn't, ooh. It's like Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Abomination, abomination, abomination. Ooh, I don't want it. Ooh. So now you got my attention, Lord. What is it that is an abomination? A proud look. There was my proud look. A lying tongue. I thought, now that's not, here I am telling God what's good and bad. Now, lying, everybody lies, Lord. A lying tongue, that's that bad? You see how I had to come into God's perception? The more you know about the truth of God, and the more that your faith, you realize that your faith relies on the truthfulness of God. And if God ever lied, everything would fall apart because everything's created by his truth. So there's no lie in him. Who's the father of lies? Oh my goodness, when I found out who the father of lies was that Satan, Jesus called him the father of lies. I never want to lie again because I want to be as far away from his company that I can be. I can be. So I had to learn from the word of God that God hates a lying tongue. He calls it an abomination. And then Proverbs 12, 22 calls it an abomination again. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Colossians chapter 3 makes it a New Testament instruction in verse 9. Lie not. He put that in the Bible to New Testament believers. Don't lie to each other. Like, thank you, Lord. Lie not one to another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. The, the lying is a part of our before Christ life that does not belong in the life of the new believer. But that was a correction that came to me. And then, you know, I had to file taxes. And I'm, I can't even lie here. I can't claim something I didn't have. I can't use this to get this. And, and it, it, it just began all throughout my life can't lie about it. Even, even if it's going to put me into having to, to work harder or to do something different, I'm not going to lie about it. Why? Because now it's a light that I'm living by. Let me tell you something else I had to learn. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now listen, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know how to live anything. Y'all got to have mercy on people who haven't been in the light because they don't know how to walk in the light unless they get it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members 
of Christ, the anointed one, his anointing. Shall I then take the members of Christ, my body, and make it the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot? What's he talking about? Joined to a harlot. He's talking about sex. He that is joined to a harlot is one body. For two saith he shall be one flesh. He's talking about in marriage. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And then what is verse 18? New Testament instruction, flee fornication. I said, what is it? I will run if you tell me what it is. What is fornication? I didn't know what fornication was. I mean, that's one of the problems with the King James Bible is that we don't use that word anymore. (laughs) Fornication? How do I run from something I don't know what it is? And it's that strong language. Flee! Run for your life! Right? How do I run? I don't even know what fornication is. We had someone coming to our church here and had come here long enough and heard the, we were, we were getting ready to have Bible, have Bible school restart. And they got a Bible, they've been coming long enough. They're interested. They're on board. They get their, their, their application for the ministerial school and they're filling it out. And they come across that and they come to a staff member and they say, what is this fornication? And they said, well, it's having sex and not being married. And they're like, oh. What? Uh, Well, we're living together. Okay, well, that's what fornication is. What? And they had to sleep in separate rooms until, and and they planned their wedding right away. They made the decision, we'd rather be married and be in line, because why? Because flee fornication. Well, listen, I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. I'd been doing that for years and years and years because it was the lifestyle lived around me. Not that my parents knew, but listen, I ran away from home when I was 15, but I had been sneaking out of the house for years before that. And so I didn't know the damage. I didn't know that it was something that the light tells me to run from. It says flee fornication. And then he goes into detail about why. Every sin that a person does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. How? By fleeing fornication. Well, that was light that I never had before the scripture brought it to me. And if, listen, if somebody would have just come up to me and said, girl, you're a sinner. Look at what you're doing. Look at how you're living. (laughs) Yeah, I knew it. I wasn't trying to hide it. I wasn't trying to pretend, but now I'm saved and I want, what am I doing? I'm delighting in the word. I'm coming to the word and I'm saying, Lord, If you say it in your word, I'll change it. Amen. And so I had to realize this was even though it's something that has been a part of my life without any restriction, without any limitation. Now I'm walking in the light and now I'm responsible for that. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse four. Listen, I'm helping you today. I'm just telling you how God established me on the word. It wasn't always comfortable because he came to areas that I was living contrary against what his word says. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, uh, and I'm going to read the amplified, Hebrews 13 4, for God will judge and punish the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adulterous. God will judge and punish. Is that in our scripture? Is that a New Testament under the grace of God? Yes. Hallelujah. The expanded Bible says, God will judge as guilty those who take part in sexual sins. 
Here is the best way I can explain to you. If you go in your house and you reach under your cabinet and you pull out the Drano bottle, that Drano bottle on the big letters, it says, this is poison. Do not drink it. Right? Sex is poisonous outside of marriage. It is not to be consumed or, or partaken of outside of marriage. In marriage, the blessing is on it. Outside of marriage, it's, it's poison. It's Drano. Don't drink it. Don't partake of it. Do you see how far outside of the way people think today that idea is? I mean, they, they ridicule children in junior high school for wanting to be virgins when the Bible sets that as a baseline. Amen? Amen? Do you see the perception? Do we want to walk in the light? Hallelujah. So this was something that came to me as, this was news to me. Like, what? Are you serious? I'm like, do like, people do that? Listen, I was convinced everybody got high. Like, they're, if they, they're just lying about it, everybody gets high. Everybody smokes pot. Everybody drinks. Everybody, they, why? Because in my world, everybody did. So in my world, this was normal. But in the light, God is telling us correction for our good. Now, so I just kept bending. I just kept submitting to the word. Okay, I can't lie. I'm not going to lie. Okay, can't, can't have fornication. Now that I know what it is, I will run. I'm staying away from it, right? And then brought, God brought me to Mark chapter 11. I wanted to learn how to operate faith, and I'm reading Mark chapter 11, and I'm reading about how you can speak to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. Verse 23, shall not doubt in my heart. Believe what I say will come to pass. Verse 24, whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive. Yes, and you shall have them. I'm excited. Verse 25 comes along. And when you stand praying, I, I like the faith part. I believe and I receive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But while you're standing there believing you receive, if you have aught, against any, had a lot of ought. I was carrying loads of ought. I was like, I, I, got, I got plenty of ought for you. I had, I had legitimate ought. In my, in my perception at that time, I'm like, Lord, there are grudges I'm holding. I have a right to hold them. Now we're making light of it. But there was a man who had molested a family member very close to me. And God touched me with that verse. Where that, and I, that was hard. That was hard. You want me to forgive? He didn't deserve forgiving. And God said, I'm not talking about what he deserves. I'm talking about what unforgiveness is doing to you. None of us deserve it. Thank you. But in my estimation, for me to let... Can I read this from the Amplified? Show me verse 25 in the Amplified. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone... Forgive him and let it drop. Leave it, let it go. How do I let that go? How do I let go what this man did to this little girl in my life? How do I let that go? Same way God let go all the things I've done. I had to come to the place you know, when I quit lying, that was easier than when I had to let it go. 
When I started fleeing fornication, that was easier than when I had to let it go. But I had to come to the place where everybody, any, anybody who I had anything against, when, when what I had against them came up, and you know, a name, you can hear their name, you can see a certain place or whatever, and it triggers that memory. And, and what they did to you or to your family just stands up in your face. And God's saying, I want you to drop that. I want you to let that go. I want you to forgive that person. It was as if me holding on to that unforgiveness was protecting that person. It wasn't. It wasn't protecting me. It wasn't protecting that person. It was hindering us all. So I had to let it go. And I came to the place that I did it just because he told me I had to. Not grudgingly, not in a way, well, you're making me do it, but Lord, because you said it in your word. Now hear me. When his word is, is important enough and, a, and enough of a priority to us that we will change even things that in our mind we thought were okay or we thought were legitimate, but I see it in your word so even though I don't understand why, and even though I can't, I can't emotionally connect with all that, I'm going to do it anyway because you said in your word. I want to be able to go to God with the promise and say, Father, according to your word, you said in your word, by your stripes I'm healed. Well, if I'm wanting to live by the word there, how can I... How can I go and claim his word to him if I'm not submitting to it in a place where he has openly showed me, you need to drop that, you need to let it go, you need to forgive that person? Do you see, my interaction with the word over here affects the way I interact with the word everywhere. If I disobey the word here, how am I going to work the word anywhere else? His word needs to have a place of priority in my life that is above all. If God says it in his word, regardless of what the society is doing, regardless of what I've, I've been raised to believe, regardless, if I see it as light in the word, I will submit, I will bend, I will adjust to bring myself in line with his word because that's the respect and honor I have for his. I delight in his commandments. I am pleased with what he said. Amen? Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Be gentle and forbearing with one another. And if one has a difference, a grievance, or complaint against another, readily pardoning each other, even as the Lord has freely forgiven you, so must you also forgive. That's the way we have to forgive. Everybody. Whether they ask and before they ask, I'm not forgiving you for you. I'm forgiving you for the Lord. I'm living a life of forgiveness because I am His. And if Jesus is Lord, His word governs. If His word governs, we're, we're not being uh, accurate if we call him Lord. Lord is, you're in charge. You, what you, your, your instruction is my command. Whatever you say, I'll do if I'm submitted to him as Lord. Let's look, and we'll, we'll look here at Luke chapter 6, and we'll close here. And we'll see how Jesus perceives that. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If he's Lord, his word governs us. His word has the final say above our attitudes, above our, our uh, previous experience, above our opinion. We are bought with a price. We are bought with a price. 
We don't have the right to an opinion that violates the word. We're bought with a price. We wouldn't even be who we are today as believers, born again, righteous, if it had not been for him. So he has the right to correct me. He has the right to adjust my attitude. He has the right to change my opinion. And any opinion that is different than his, out the door it goes. I don't want it. Because, well, what am I going to do? Get to heaven and and change his mind? Well, yeah. Well, you know, Lord, I see it this way. He said, why do you call me, Lord, and you won't do the things which I say? Verse 47, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. So it's not just the hearing, it's the doing. Hear my sayings and does them. I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it. Why? Because he had laid the foundation. For it was founded upon a rock. What is this person? This is the person who is delighting in the word, who is, who is adjusting themselves to fit the word, not, not picking and choosing what parts of the word I want to live, what parts of the word I want to work. Well, I want that 1 Peter 2, 24 part that by his stripes I'm healed and I want this blessed going in, blessed coming out part. But you know, I don't want that forgive if you have ought against any part. Can we just leave that part out? No, I got to do that to enjoy the rest of it. Amen? So he said that the person who is a, a doer of the word is able, no matter what the storm is, no matter what the adversity is, no matter what comes against them, when the storm is over, they're still standing. When the adversity has exhausted itself against them, They're still standing. Why? Doers of the word. It's the word holding my life up. I can't violate the word without pulling the bricks out from underneath my life. What I'm I'm acting on today is what my whole life is built on. I want the stability for my life, for my marriage, for my family, for my children. I want that stability in place. Where is it? It's in the doing of the word. The amplified, not the classic, but the the new amplified says, he is like a far-sighted, practical and sensible man building a house. And I wanted to bring that just for that word, far-sighted. I'm looking beyond this moment. It's not just about today. It's about eternity. It's about on down the road. The life that I'm living today in the Word is affecting my future. And I'm going to be farsighted about it. I'm going to look on down the road and I'm going to say, I'm going to be a doer today. And you know what? I'm so glad. Because I can look back. You can see the difference in my life. I'm not standing outside blowing smoke in people's face, giving them attitude today. Thank you, Jesus. The life that I'm living today is the word that I started living years ago. When I began, when I accepted Jesus as Lord in 1992 and submitted to the word... In 1992, from that moment to this, the Word of God has built my life and is continuing to build my life. So start today and be farsighted and look down the road so that you can have your life securely founded upon the rock. And we're going to close with Hebrews 5 and verse 14. Hebrews 5 and verse 14. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Strong meat. 
And now we're going to have, we're not talking about an age in natural human years, but he's talking about a maturity in the things of the spirit. Strong meat belongs to those who are spiritually mature. And now we have a definition coming to us of those who are spiritually mature. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Can I see the amplified classic that we have here of that verse? Hallelujah. Solid food is for full-grown people, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary even to either to divine or human law. Hallelujah. Spiritually mature people have been doing the word long enough to know. By reason of use, what am I using to get mature? The word. Well, the word says flee fornication. So I'm not even going to put myself in that position. The word says lie not. So that's no longer ever an option for me, right? The word says forgive, so I'm going to let that go. Whatever it may be, those are just three examples of things that I can look back and see were, were eye-openers to me. I had not walked in the light of that ever before, but when light came to me, I began walking in that light, and now that's my lifestyle, amen? Embrace. Delight in the instruction of God. Embrace instruction. I, I, I go to the Lord and say, Lord, correct me. If I'm off course, I want to know it. Please don't let me go for months down the wrong road and have to backtrack and, and come back the wrong way. I'm correctable. I am, I am instructable. If the Lord comes to me and begins to tell me something, I'll say, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> no. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, okay, I receive it. Hallelujah. That's how we'll grow. Just lift your hands right now and say, Father, I am open to your correction. I want your instruction for every area of my life. If you bring me light, I won't resist it. I won't refuse it. I will embrace the light, and I will walk in it. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, that's food to grow by. Stand with me to your feet.